Welcome to the Best of St. Joseph Radio, a program that for more than 30 years has sought out eloquent speakers throughout the world to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. People who seek to put Christ first in their lives, living the Father's will, witnessing to His grace, love, and forgiveness. Now with the aid of technology, we are able to reach the four corners of the world with the gospel message, where Christ Himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. Brothers and sisters, sit back, relax, and open your ears and heart to the good news on the best of St. Joseph Radio Presents. I'm Don Carney. Today, as part of our notable speaker series, we bring you Father Larry Richards, the pastor of St. Joseph Church, Bread of Life Community in Erie, Pennsylvania. Father Richards is famous with the people of Erie for his straightforward, humorous style that at once captivates and challenges one to be real with yourself and with God. And as you'll hear in a moment, there is no better time to level with yourself and with God than in the sacrament of confession. So without further ado, here's our notable speaker of the day, Father Larry Richards, with a very special, challenging message. When we originally started doing this talk five, six years ago, it was right after we heard the teaching of the prodigal son. And this shows in Luke 15 that the first act of God is compassion, is mercy, is forgiveness. The God is always ready to do anything to forgive us. His first movement is mercy. His first movement is compassion. God is love. And my favorite devotion in my own life is to devotion to divine mercy. Mercy, by definition, is giving something good to someone who doesn't deserve it. And that's what God has done for us from the very beginning. But before we really look at mercy, we got to first look at sin. <laughs> I know it's something everybody wants to look at, but we got to start there. What is sin, and why do we need mercy? Nowadays, a lot of people don't get into mercy because they don't think they need it. I'm a good person. I don't need anything. I'm fine. But the reality is we all need a Savior because we've all sinned. So let's look at sin. And to look at sin, we got to go to the very beginning. Everything starts at the very beginning. And we start with Genesis chapter 3 in the fall of man. Now, if you look at the book of Genesis, here it is. It talks about the original sin. Now, original sin began with the devil and began with Eve, if you will. And Eve's walking through the garden one day, doo, 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 doo. and as she's walking through the garden, the devil appears to her. Now, again, the devil at this time was not a snake. He was a Lucifer, light bearer, huh? a seraph angel who sees the face of God. And so he appears to her and says, hi, Eve. And she says, hi, you Satan. And he says, what you doing? Oh, nothing, just walking through the garden. So he starts to tempt her. And the way he starts to tempt her, of course, was he starts to tempt her by instilling doubt. And that's the way the devil still gets us today, by instilled doubt. And remember, when we go back to Genesis, God said, you can do anything you want. Just don't take from that tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, huh? Now, let's go there for a second. Was there anything wrong with that tree? No. Was it poisonous? No. The only thing wrong with the tree was what? God said no. He said, if you take from that tree or touch that tree, you will die. Now, we got to make sure that we know this. God is not a liar. 
God is a God of justice. And so if he says, if you do this, you will die, you got to die or God's a liar. So the first thing the devil does is he starts to instill doubt. And he says to Eve, Eve, did God really tell you not to take from that tree? And she goes, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Can't take that tree or even touch her or we'll die. And then the devil starts, oh, you certainly will not die. God knows if you take from that tree, you will become like God. First of all, the devil's called the father of lies. And here's where he gets his first big lie. If you do that, you will not die. Now, that goes against everything God's taught us. The wages of sin, it says in Romans, is death. If you sin, what you do to pay for that sin is death. And so the devil says, oh, you won't die. In fact, you will become like God. And that's the sin of uh, America, especially, that we want to make our own decisions. And what that means is, of course, the devil's saying to Eve and saying to us, to our lives, no one can tell you what sin is. If you think it's right, it's right. If you think it's wrong, it's wrong. You become God. And how many people want to become God? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Well, no one asks you. God's the one that determines. And so he sits there and he says, you will die. Now that's all it begins in our life and by beginning with doubt. Oh, is missing mass on Sunday a sin? Is sex before marriage really a sin? It's made up by a bunch of old people. Come on. Is this really a sin? Is that really a sin? The devil gets us by instilling doubt in our lives. And she goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That is a sin. God told us we cannot touch her or we're going to die. You will not die. And then she looks. And usually once you look, you're hooked. Because as she looks, she saw it was good. It was good, pleasurable, desirable. There's always something good in sin, right? Or we wouldn't do it. Aquinas said, if given a choice between good and evil, we'll always choose good, even if it's apparent good. There's something desirable about sin. There's something inside of us, that desire. We call that in the Catholic Church concupiscence. We're born with it, that tendency to sin. And it's something that brings pleasure to us. So once she looked, boom, she took it, took it, ate it, and died. And she gave some, and that's where sin began. Now, we've got to remember this. Sin is ultimately saying no to God. Period. It's not, oh, I hurt other people. It's not, it's hurting God of the universe. It's disobeying him. Now, there's four effects of sin. The first effect of sin is that when you and I sin, we will always die. The wages of sin is death. Now, again, people don't believe it, but trust me, your soul dies when you commit a mortal sin. The second thing that happens when you and I sin is that we become slaves to sin. You know, you sit there, there's a great story by C.S. Lewis in his uh, The Great Divorce. In this story is a man who's stuck in purgatory, if you will, and he's trying to get out. And he's trying to get out and he's begging God because he has this demon of lust on his shoulder. And this demon of lust has a chain around the man's neck and is constantly pulling him and trying to get him to do all these sins. And the guy's going crazy. I hate this demon of lust. I hate it. And he keeps crying out to God. Finally, God sends an angel to him. And the angel says, what's the matter? He said, it's this demon of lust. I can't stand a demon of lust. You can't imagine what it makes me do. And the angel looks at him and says, may I kill it? Oh, I, I, I don't know if you want to kill it. I mean, that's kind of politically incorrect to kill something. You don't want to kill it. The angel says, may I kill it? Oh, I don't know. Maybe you can just hurt it a little bit, you know, wound it, break its legs. And the angel says, may I kill it? 
And then finally the man says, yes, yes, kill it. And the angel reaches on, he takes the demon of lust and he crushes it. And the demon is transformed into a beautiful white stallion. And the man jumps on the stallion and the stallion takes him home to heaven. God wants to set you free from your slavery. And again, the principle in the Catholic Church, we have to realize, a basic spiritual principle is this. Before God gives the commandments, he first sets his people free from their slavery. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to forgive us and to set us free. Years ago, it came clear to me when I was giving a a tour in Rome, and I was going from church to church saying Mass, and I got done with one of the Masses, and a guy came out, and I'm I'm changing his story a lot, so you can't never remember this guy, because we can never break the seal. But this guy comes to me, and he's a young guy, big weightlifter type guy, big thick accent, and he says, Father, can I go to confession? And I says, "Uh, well, sure. Uh, And there was nowhere to go, so he just knelt in front of me, and I said, okay, go for it. And he started. And he was really afraid, and he was so... uh, uh, ashamed, you could just tell. And I said, relax, let me say a blessing over you. So I gave him a blessing. And I said, okay, just tell Jesus and I'll listen. And as he sat there and he started pouring out his heart, and he had all different kinds of things. And he goes, I know, Father, I know, Father. I'm so ashamed. I said, stop. I said, do you know how much God loves you? And Jesus Christ died to set you free from that sin. So often we think that when we go to confession, it's where we get condemned and we feel horrible about ourselves. But it's in confession where we meet Jesus. And Jesus takes his blood at Calvary and pours it over us, and he sets us free. Have you ever experienced the freedom of confession, where you're finally set free from those chains that bind you? Sin always binds us and enslaves us. God always sets us free. The third thing that sin does is makes us dirty, huh? You know instantly when you've sinned, normally, because you feel dirty inside. You have that guilt. Now, guilt is a good thing. People say, oh, I feel guilty. I hate feeling guilty. Guilt's a good thing if it's a healthy guilt. You know, if you take your hand, you put it in the fire, and your hand's a healthy hand, you're going to pull it back. Whoa, it's good you feel that little bit of pain, or you'd let it burn. When a person feels guilty, it shows their soul's still alive, So we sit there and we get the guilt, so we'll stop doing it. When we stop feeling guilty for sin, it shows our soul's dead. Do you feel dirty, dirty, dirty when you have sinned? Good. God wants to cleanse you. The fourth thing that sin does is it separates us from the Father. There's a story, you know, sometimes we think, well, if I do this or do that, God's going to be mad at me and he's going to hate me. Now listen, you can commit a hundred billion mortal sins... There is nothing you will ever do in your life to make God stop loving you. Impossible. There's nothing you did to be loved by God. and There's nothing you ever do to stop being loved by God. Nothing. But the God of the universe, we can run from that love, just like the sun shining. The sun can do nothing else but shine, not here in Erie, I know. But normally you can just see the sun shining, and the sun's always shining. Now you can put an umbrella over your head and stop the sun from reaching you. The sun hasn't stopped shining. When we sin, it's like putting an umbrella over our head. God doesn't stop loving us, but we've put a barrier between that and God. It separates us from God. God hasn't changed. We have changed. It's like the man and woman They've been married 50 years, and the man always drove, and one day his wife looks over at him and says, you know, honey, we don't sit as close as we used to anymore. And the man looks at her and says, well, honey, I've never moved. It was she that moved. 
He always stayed the same. It's us who move when we sin and separate ourselves from God. God doesn't move. God doesn't change. Now, you got to know this before we do anything, before we go into all the sins and we start going through the commandments, that there is nothing you and I can do to earn heaven. Nothing. If you and I could earn heaven, take a look at that cross. That was a waste of God's time. If you could be good enough to go to heaven. If I'm good enough at the end of my life, most Catholic Catholics think that at the end of your life, God's going to look at your life and put it in some scales there. And if the good outweighs the bad, well, come on in. That is salvation by only works. So we don't believe that. We believe you need salvation. You're saved by faith and works. We are saved by grace. Meaning, if you and I drop dead today, God forbid, and we stand before God the Father and he says to you or to me, why should I let you into heaven? And if we look at him and says, because I went to Mass every Sunday and I tried to be a good person. <clears throat> Hell forever. Uh, uh, I had to listen to Father Larry every week. Come on, that deserves, I already had my hell on earth. <clears throat> hell forever. I obeyed all the commandments. <clears throat> hell forever. Mother Teresa, when she went up before God the Father, she said, okay, Mother, why shall I let you into heaven? Well, I was a living saint. <clears throat> but she wouldn't have said that, huh? My hero is Pope John Paul II. God forbid Pope John Paul II goes and dies and he stands before God the Father tonight. And God the Father looks at him and says, John Paul, why shall I let you into heaven? And if he said, because I was the Pope. It would be hell forever, but he wouldn't say that, huh? There's only one answer to that question. If you and I stand before God the Father and he says, why shall I let you into heaven? The only answer to that question, according to the teaching of the Catholic faith, is Jesus, your son, died for my sins. He paid the price. Now, we as Catholics believe God's going to look at us and say, prove it. And then we'll have to show him the way we lived our life. That's works. But we're saved by what he did, not by what we do. But we got to prove that we're in him by living the way he's commanded us to live. And when we don't, that's when we go to confession. The first place we're forgiven of our sins is where? Baptism. The original cleansing. But then because we're weak human beings, we have to go back to receive that sacrament again through the confession. And that takes the sacramental forgiveness that's given at baptism and cleanses us again. Now, where do we get in the scriptures that we need to confess sin? The first place we get it, of course, is in John chapter 20, huh? And in John chapter 20, you can go to verse... Uh, 22 and follow, or well, you can start at really at 21. This is what Jesus says. Peace be with you. This is after the resurrection. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Then he says in verse 22 of John chapter 20, and he said this, he breathed on them, giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now get this next line. Those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven them. Those whose sins you retain are retained. Now, he doesn't say those whose sins I forgive are forgiven. He said those whose sins you forgive are forgiven. God gave the power to forgive sins to the priests. Now, it's right there. I don't know how much clearer that could be. That's why when you go to confession to the priest, the priest will sit there and says, God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of our sins. Through the ministry of his church, may God grant you pardon and peace. And then he says, and now I absolve you of your sin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. 
that it's the priest who absolves you because he's given the power from Christ. It says it there, huh? It's just kind of like, you got to know that sin is like a cancer. My mother about eight, nine years ago now had cancer. My mother had cancer. The very first thing my mother did was call me on the phone and said, Larry, would you pray for me? And I said, of course. Now, could God have cured my mother of cancer just through prayer? The answer to that is... Yes, of course he could have. He can do anything. He is God. But the way he chose to cure my mother was through a doctor. My mother went to the hospital. She went to a doctor. The doctor performed a mastectomy on her, and she was totally cured. She's been cured now for eight years. Now, was it the doctor that healed my mother? No. It was a doctor through the power of God given to him that healed my mother. Well, sin is like a cancer. We all have it inside of us. And in an emergency, the church is always taught, God can forgive sin outside the sacrament. The ordinary means of forgiveness of sin, though, is first in baptism and then through confession, through a priest. That's the ordinary means. But in an emergency, emergency only, you're driving along the road, you get in a car accident and you're dying. And you look up at the God of the universe and you say, God, I am so sorry for my sins. And you mean it. And you die. Are you forgiven of your sins? The answer is, yes, of course. God is bigger than the sacrament. But the ordinary means is you must confess your sins to a priest. Now, again, if you want to look at another one, you go to Matthew chapter 16, 18 and following. And there it says here, you are rock and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of death or hell shall not prevail against it. And then he goes and he takes his keys, huh? Now, let's say I sit there and I take my keys here, keys to my Explorer outside, and I throw these keys to Bob, and I say, here, Bob, here's the keys to my Explorer. Well, I only have one set. Now, Bob has the power to leave people into my car and leave them out. He has the power of the keys. Well, God took the keys to the kingdom of God, and he threw them to St. Peter, and he said, hey, Peter, here's the keys to heaven. Whatever you declare bound on earth, I'm going to bind it in heaven. Peter, whatever you declare loose on earth, I will loose it in heaven. He gave the church the keys to heaven. Why? I haven't a clue. But he did. That's scriptural. So we must go to confession. One of the greatest things that happen when we go to confession, the first thing that dies is the core sin. And that core sin is pride. Oh, it kills me. I go to confession every two weeks, huh? And my spirit director, he's a nice guy. He sits there and he likes to sit there and say, Larry, isn't it great God loves a jerk like you? Yeah, it's great God loves a jerk like me, Father. It's true. It kills my pride. And pride is the main thing that separates us from God. And that's what we got to kill. Second thing we got to know is when we're going to confession, that sin isn't just about breaking a rule. You know, and so often that's what we want. I'm not hurting anybody when I sin. Come on, you know, it's no big thing. Sin isn't breaking a rule. It's hurting someone who loves us. It's about relationship. It's not about rules. It's about relationship, huh? And that became clear to me years ago. I'm a Pittsburgher, of course, growing up from the north side of Pittsburgh. And when I was in uh, seminary, went to high school seminary, one of my friends was from up in East Troy, New York. And he had a dairy farm up there, huh? And so one summer he calls me and he says, uh, hey, Larry, why don't you come up to the dairy farm? I says, are you out of your mind? What am I going to do at a dairy farm? It'll be good for you. Okay, I got in a bus and I went up to the dairy farm. 
When I went up there, I had to learn how to shovel manure and, you know, do all that kind of wonderful stuff. And you milk cows. I was milking cows. And you milk them twice a day, 7 in the morning, 7 at night, every 12 hours. And we're going to do the evening milking one day. And one of the cows, we'll call her Betsy. I don't know if that was her name. It's a true story. Uh, was missing. And so he says, well, Betsy's missing. She was supposed to have a calf. We better go and find that if she had the calf. And so we go walking a mile, mile and a half out in the pasture. When we found Betsy, Betsy just had a beautiful baby bull calf. Huh? Beautiful. Just came out of his mother. He was all black and he had a little white mark underneath his neck. Huh? And he just came out of his mother, so cute. And I says, oh, how cute. I said, now what are we going to do? And he says, we're going to have to get the calf back to the barn. I said, how are we going to do that? He says, well, Let's try to push Betsy, and if Betsy will move, then the calf will move. And so we're pushing Betsy, doing everything else. Betsy isn't moving. And so I said, now what? He says, well, we're going to have to sit there and uh, move the calf. And I said, how are we going to do that? He says, we'll carry him. He says, but Larry, I'm used to this. Why don't you carry him? I says, okay, how am I going to do that? And he said, do you ever see the picture of the good shepherd? I said, yeah. Now, the way you're supposed to pick up a calf, you pick it by all fours like this, but I don't know. I'm Pittsburgher, huh? He said, the picture of the good shepherd, you know, up there. You take that little sheep and you put it around your neck. He said, that's what we'll do with the calf. I said, okay. I knelt down. He picked up this little big bull calf and put it around my neck, head here, tail here, and we start walking towards the barn. Well, as we're walking, this bull calf did not like being six foot and a half inches high in the air. And as I'm holding on to this bull calf, he's going, and he starts shaking himself, trying to get down. But I'm a dumb, strong Pittsburgh. I'm holding on to this thing. It's so stubborn. And the calf's going on. He's going, and he's trying to shake down and let me make him put him down. But I wouldn't let him go. And all of a sudden, as we're walking about halfway back to the barn, I felt a little trickle on the side of my neck. And this little trickle became a gushing liquid. Huh? This gushing liquid got into my hair, into my mouth. I had a white t-shirt on. It suddenly became bright yellow. This little bull calf was urinating all over me. Disgusting, disgusting. You think I let go of that bull calf? No, I'm wet now. What's the difference? I finally get back to the barn. I throw this bull calf down into the barn. He kind of looks around back at me, and he has this, like, little smile on his face, and he goes, with this smirk on his bull face. I wanted to have veal that night for dinner. They wouldn't let me. You know, for veal, those who don't know his baby calf. But anyway, I had to go and take a shower. Now, I hoped I was going to take a shower, but... There was no showers at this place. I had to take a bath. But here I am in the bathtub, no Mr. Bubble. And as I'm sitting there, what happens? There's this yellow stuff that starts floating at the top of the bath water. Disgusting, disgusting, disgusting. And as this is happening, I'm sitting there. I get a revelation from God. And he says, hey, Richards. I said, yes, God. That's what he calls me. He wants to teach me something. I said, yes. He said, you know what that bull calf just did to you? I said, yes, thank you, God. I'm sitting in it. Thank you. (laughs) And he says, that's what you do to me every time you sin. (sighs) God, why do you tell me these things, huh? I just want sin to be, I broke a commandment. Oh, I stole a cookie from the cookie jar. Sorry. Uh Uh-uh. When you and I sin, we hurt somebody who loves us. The day we're baptized or the day we give our lives to Christ... Jesus is the good shepherd, and he picks us up on his shoulders, and the only thing he wants is to get us home. That's all. And he picks us up on his shoulders and says, come on, I'm going to take you home. 
And we sit there and scream and yell and carry, and I'll do it my way. You know, the center of all sin is I. I'll do it my way. That's what the theme song of people sing forever in hell. I did it my way. You like that song? They're going to love hell. That's what they do there every day. They sing that song, huh? And so we want to say, Jesus, put me down. I'll walk my life my way. I'll live my life my way. And Jesus says, no, it has to be my way. And we do our business on God. But does he ever let us go? No. Unless we look at him and say, put me down. I don't want any part of you. Then God always honors our, our will. But if we never betray him and we never sit there and reject him, he'll keep loving us, keep carrying us, if only we'll come. Now, most people, again, they don't see sin about in a relationship with Jesus. They see it as breaking the rule, and they say, oh, I don't hurt anybody. And I always say to my kids, you know, gentlemen, when I taught at prep, you would never grow up, huh, and fool around on your wife, now would you? And they all say, oh, of course not, Father. I said, why? Because it's a rule? This is a commandment. Do not commit adultery. Well, no, Father. Well, why wouldn't you do that? Because I love her. Very good. To be in relationship with somebody means that everything you do affects them. If you and I are in a relationship with Jesus, everything we do affects that relationship. So we don't sin, not because I don't want to break a rule. I don't sin because I love Jesus. Now, in my weakness, I may fall. But that's why I got to get up and say, Jesus, look at me without you. This is what I am without you. Jesus, I need you. Huh? And if I'm truly sorry, the very first words ever out of God's mouth is you and I must repent. Repent. That means change our life. That means when we go to confession, we're really sorry. You know, I have a good friend who's a Lutheran pastor, and he always sits there and says, Larry, you know the problem with you Catholics? You're always confessing, but you're never repenting. Ah, and I says, oh, you don't understand. You do realize you can confess all you want. You're not forgiven until you repent. And what's repent mean? I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to change my life. To live a Christian life isn't about struggling. It's about letting Jesus live his life inside of you. So you mightn't be able to stop sinning in yourself, the same habit you've been in again and again and again. But Jesus can. Will you let him? We let him live his life inside of you. And what that got to be is the intention is, I'm going to stop sinning. Like there is an old one of my kids, his name was Rob Joyce. And one day, what if I come in and I, and I beat the heck out of you? And if I go and beat the heck out of you and I break your nose and blood's rolling down, and I go up to you an hour later and I go, oh, Rob, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. What are you going to say? He says, well, Father, I guess I'd say I forgive you. Oh, what a saint you are. My, my, my. And I see him an hour later, and I go, hi, Rob. And he goes, hi, Father. And this time I beat the heck out of him again. And this time I break both of his legs. What are you going to say, Rob? Uh, that's okay. I forgive you. Yeah, what a saint you are. What a guy. I see you an hour later, and I go, hi, Rob. And he goes, <laughs> Hi, Father. <laughs> and I beat the heck out of him again. This time, break both legs, both arms, bloody nose again. I go up to him and go, Oh, Rob, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. What are you going to say? And say, I don't think I believe you, Father. You don't believe me. I'm a priest. How could you not believe me? Why wouldn't you believe me, Rob? Because if you were really sorry, you'd stop doing it. Ding, 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 ding. If we look at the God of the universe and say, God, I'm sorry, that means my intention must be I will never do this again. 
So you go to confession and you say, I missed Mass on Sunday. What's that mean? I'll never miss Mass on Sunday again. You go to confession and say, I yelled at the wife. What does that mean? I'm never going to yell at my wife again. Now, in our weakness, we may fall. That's concupiscence. That's why we need to go back to confession again and again. But my intention must be, I'm going to stop doing this. Repentance is necessary for forgiveness. And repentance is, I'm done with this sin. So, the first thing we got to know is that. Now, we need to sit there and start thinking about how to make a good confession, huh? And the first thing you need to do, and I need to do before we make a good confession, is first of all, you need to go to confession at least once a month. You know, the teaching in the church is you got to go and confess mortal sins once a year. Confession once a month is good for the soul, huh? And if you don't sit there and think you have much to confess... Go to the website, thereasonforourhope.com, and on there will be a link, the sins that need to be confessed. And there's from A to Z of all the sins you need to confess. It'll help you a lot when you go. But we're going to go once a month. The first thing you do is you pray to the Holy Spirit, and you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you your sinfulness. And a good way to reveal to your sinfulness is where do people see Jesus or do people see me? Every time they see me, I've sinned. Okay, then reveal to me my sinfulness. And then make a good examination of conscience. What I'll just do now is briefly go through the commandments with you. When you go through the commandments to really make a good examination. The first commandment is what? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no false gods before me. That means is God first in your life. You know, I've heard confessions now for 16 years, 15, 16 years. And I never hear people come in and saying I broke the first commandment. But that's the greatest commandment. And we've all broken it. You've broken it. Trust me. That means you love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. The answer to that is no. Trust me. I've met the Pope, Mother Teresa. Nobody loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. We want to, but we don't. So we have to confess that God isn't totally first in my life. Is everything you do, you pick up a piece of paper off the floor for the love of God? Well, no, Father. Well, then you're not loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. So first thing you and I got to do is I don't have God totally first. And one of the practical ways to do that is do you have a daily prayer life? Simple. Do you have a daily prayer life? If I ask you yesterday, and not, oh, I try, Father. There ain't no try here. If I ask you, did you pray yesterday? Oh, no, Father, I was tired. I fell asleep. Oh, okay, did you eat yesterday? Well, yeah, Father. Well, you love food more you love God. Did you pray yesterday? Oh, no, Father, I was uh, tired. Oh, did you watch TV? Well, sure, Father, you love TV more you love God. I used to ask my kids, uh, did you talk to your girlfriend yesterday? They go, oh, yeah, Father. Oh, Did you pray yesterday? Uh, Oh, no, Father. You love them more than you love God. You cannot even begin to say you love God above all things unless you have a daily prayer life. That's never fitting God into your day, but that's building your day around God. So whenever you fit God into your day, you've broken the first commandment. Isn't that exciting? Something to confess. Are you ready? You do realize you have broken every Ten Commandment when I'm done with you. Just a thought. And at the end, I had once someone came to me and says, Father, I broke every one of the commandments. I said, yep, join the crowd. You need a Savior. We all are in need of a Savior. And I don't do this to make you feel guilty. Well, kind, I guess I do. But I do more to sit there and tell you and me that we have cancer inside. And if we have a cancer inside, what's the first thing you ask somebody when someone has cancer after an operation? Did they get it all? Because you know if you leave any part of that cancer inside of you, it can grow and kill you. The same when you go to confession. What's very necessary is did they get it all? Did you confess everything? Because if you didn't confess everything, if you purposely held something back, 
then it needs to be confessed because it'll still haven't been forgiven for anything because you still have cancer. You still have sin. And if you ever went to one of those, uh, you know, absolutions where they absolve everybody, you know, a general absolution, <laughs> sorry, it doesn't count. Even with general absolution, if you have a mortal sin, you still must confess it as soon as you have a chance. The only way you don't have to confess it is if you're going into war and the priest gets the thousand men in front of you and says, now I absolve you of your sins, and you go off and get killed, well then you didn't need to confess it. But if you come back and you survived, you need to go to confession. You need a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Personal encounter. And the priest is in persona Christi. So, second commandment, you shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. Simple, you shall not use the name of God in vain. Now, I know people go to daily mass, and I know priests and nuns that use God's name in vain. Can you imagine using God's name in vain is saying God's name for no reason? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you say that? Oh, God. It's saying God for no reason. It's like looking at the God of the universe and saying, hey, God. And he says, what? Well, when you say God's name, you invoke his presence. Isn't it interesting? God gave us ten commandments. One whole commandment, number two, was don't you dare use my name in vain. You know what they did to you if you just said the word God in the Old Testament? They killed you. You were stoned to death. Well, Father, it's a habit. It's a habit you and I got to stop if we do it. Second commandment. Third commandment. Keep away the Sabbath. You got to go to Mass on Sunday. To miss Mass on Sunday is what kind of a sin? A mortal sin. Now, Father, you don't still believe in mortal sin, do you? Oh, for goodness sakes. Where do we get the difference between mortal and venial sin? Well, again, from the Word of God. If you go to the Word of God, 1 John chapter 5, this is what John the Apostle says, verse 16. If anyone sees a brother sinning, if the sin is not deadly, deadly means mortal or serious, huh? If the sin is not deadly, he should pray to God and he will be given him life. This is only for those whose sin is not deadly. There is such a thing as a deadly sin about which I do not say that you should pray. All wrongdoing is sin, but not all wrongdoing is deadly. The Word of God says there's different types of sin. There's deadly sin, mortal sin, serious sin, and there's sin that isn't deadly. We call that venial. These are the terms we put to them. Three things are necessary to commit a mortal sin, right? We all know this, right? Serious matter, full knowledge, full consent of the will. Serious matter, it's wrong. Full knowledge, you know it's wrong. Full consent of the will, you do it anyway. If all three of those things are present, you have committed a mortal sin. You must go to confession. You must, huh? Because what happens is you sit there and your soul dies. What happens if you die in mortal sin? What's the answer? You go to hell. Do not pass go, not collect $200. How many mortal sins it take to go to hell? One. Father, I don't believe that. I don't. Let's say you're real healthy, huh? You lift weights and all these stuff. So you run up and down the Empire State Building steps. Once you run all the way to the top of the Empire State Building, and at the top of the Empire State Building, you become rocky. You go, da da da, da da da. I'm so healthy. I'm so good. Whoa, look at me. And then you go to the edge of the Empire State Building and you walk off just once. Ah, kind of cool. Ah, splat. Father, that's not fair. I just did it once. That's all it took. One time. 
Same in a physical life, same in a spiritual life. One mortal sin is enough to kill your soul. So just go to confession. God is the God of resurrection. He loves to bring you and I to new life. Just go to confess. You know, every sin you confess, Jesus says, give it to me, and he dies for that sin. Every sin you don't confess, he doesn't die for it. You've got to die for it. So never be afraid to confess any sin. Get rid of it forever. Let Jesus give you a new life. Don't be afraid. huh? So the third commandment, can't miss Mass on Sunday. Because what you're doing is saying, God, you're not worth my time. Everything else has my time. Television has my time. My friend has my time. All these things. But God, you're not worth my time. And you might sit there and say, Father, I'm bored when I go to Mass. Well, God didn't ask you if you were bored. He just commanded you to give him back. You must give him back your time. He demands it. It's not an option. So do it. Fourth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, huh? Oh, father, my parents are dead. I don't, uh, I don't have to do that anymore. Well, do you pray for them every day? Those of you who are younger, when you come home, do your parents go, Oh, joy, my son or daughter's home. Or, oh, do I have to put up with this one for another hour? Do you drive your parents nuts? Those of you who are parents, do you build them up? Your children or tear them down? Do you tell your kids what's wrong with them all the time or you tell them what's right? What do you do? We need to be people, people to honor our parents. It's the only commandment with a promise. If you do this, you will have a long life. The blessings of honoring your parents are innumerable. So you got to do it. And if not, that's a great sin. You might be great everywhere else, but you got to be great at home too. Fifth commandment. You shall not kill. Oh, Father, you can't get me on this one. I've never killed anybody. <laughs> really? How about your anger? Ask anybody who knows me. Father Larry's greatest sin is his temper. I could sit there and make the kids at prep 650 boys stop in an instant. Gentlemen, here, now! And they would come see me. You know, but I turn many people off by that. I have a temper that's just ridiculous. And I don't even think about it, huh? It just comes and goes. And I think, where did that come from? Anger is just like taking a knife and putting it in someone's heart. Do you hurt people with your words? Do you say nasty things? Do you put people down? Do you make fun of people? I had a girl years ago in eighth grade that tried to commit suicide. You know why? Because people made fun of her. We make fun of people and put them down. Have you ever had an abortion or helped someone have an abortion? If you have, God can forgive that. You have a son or daughter now in heaven that's praying for you. But you've got to tell them you're sorry. You've got to mean it. And you've got to reach out into heaven and ask them by name for forgiveness. And when you stand before God on judgment, they will stand next to you, filled with love for you, their mother or their father. But you need to confess that. You need to make it right. And if you're pro-choice, you have a lot that you have to repent from. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and believe you can kill children. It's that simple. If you really believe that, then I hate to tell you, you're really wrong. God is the God of life. And yes, we do have choice. We have choice whether we're going to have sex or not. But once you've had that choice, then you've made a determination forever. That now is a child within you forever. And you must let that child live. Please, if you are pro-choice, you must repent and no peace in your heart. You ever really see pro-choice people? They usually don't have great peace. God wants to give you peace.
If you've had an abortion, help someone have an abortion. Confess it and make yourself right with God. God longs to forgive you and love you. If you're an angry person, repent. Let God give you a heart that's from Him. The sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. These are sins of the flesh. Our Lady of uh, Fatima said most people go to hell because of sins of the flesh. Not because they're the worst sins, but because they're the ones that bring most people down. It's that simple. Now, first of all, before we deal with sexuality, we got to deal with the reality of the goodness of sexuality. The very first commandment ever out of God's mouth was increase and multiply. Sex is holy. It's how we're most like God when we're married and which we can bring eternal life to new beings. It's a holy thing. Some people, of course, get addicted to pornography. And when they get addicted to pornography, they keep looking at it and it becomes something they go at again and again and again. You know, I want to give you a website that will help you with that. It's a great website. It's called settingcaptivesfree.com. Settingcaptivesfree.com. And there'll be someone who'll give you scriptures so you can wash your mind and wash your soul with the Word of God. And it'll help you and set you free. Jesus isn't here to condemn you, He's here to set you free. Some people, of course, when it comes to sexuality, of sex outside of marriage, we call that fornication. Now, the Word of God is clear in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians and Revelation. And it says in Ephesians 5, 5 to 7, make no mistake about this. No fornicator, someone who has sex outside of marriage, no fornicator, no unclean or lustful person, in effect an idolater, will have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Let no one deceive you with worthless arguments. These are sins that bring down God's wrath on the disobedient. Therefore, have nothing to do with them. It isn't the Catholic Church saying that. It isn't Father Larry saying that. It's God saying that. This is His Word. And His Word says, no fornicator will go to heaven. Now, I know that a lot of people are fornicating. I'm not stupid. God isn't stupid. He sees it every day. God is a just God, as we already talked about. That means that every sin, God who said that He must punish sin, He says it, deals with it. He says, if you do this, you will die. Now, if we sin and we cling to that sin, then when God goes to punish the sin, he'll also punish us because we've clung to the sin. Yeah, I did it. I'm going to keep doing it. Well, God will punish the sin. And if you cling to the sin, he will punish you. But if you sit there and say, God, I am so sorry. Get this out of my life. I'm so sorry. I repent. God, help me. If you and I repent of sin, then when God goes to punish the sin, He'll punish the sin, but he'll give his great mercy to you. Will you allow yourself to experience his mercy? God is never going to hurt you. He's only going to love you. God isn't out to get you. He's out to set you free. Huh? But you have to repent, huh? Why is all these things wrong? Because it's not open to life. Homosexuality is wrong. Why? Because it's not open to life. So if you struggle with that, God wants to set you free from that. You know, once I was dealing with that with someone at the college, and they were sitting there saying, Father, do you believe homosexuals can go to heaven? I said, well, sure, just like fornicators can go to heaven and anybody else. They sin like all of us sin. It's not worse than any other sin. The sin is sin. And he says, oh. And he says, well, why, Father? And I says, if they repent. I says, I believe I've known a lot of them throughout the years that they just want to be loved. And that's the way they try to fill the emptiness inside. But the only one who will ever fill your emptiness is Jesus, to know his love. That's the only thing that will fill your emptiness, nothing else. Will you let Jesus be the one who fills you? 
Now, people who are married, especially in the church anymore, outside of course, but they use artificial birth control. And they say, that's okay, it's no sin, I don't believe the church. What you're saying when you use artificial birth control is you're saying, God, you're not in charge of my life, I am. This is what I want. But it's not open to life and it becomes an act that becomes a selfish act. Every act of sex must be open to two things, love and life. If not, it becomes a selfish act. So please, you pray about it. You ask God, and God's going to tell you exactly. You know what's right, and you know what's wrong. Let God love you and give you a new life. Seventh commandment, have you lied, have you cheated, have you stolen? Have you gossiped? You know, gossiping, my gosh, people gossiping so much. And there is a story told about a woman who came to confession once, and she gossiped, where false witness. And the priest says, okay, you gossip a lot. Yeah, Father, well, see, this is what I want you to do. They lived in a small town, and on top of the hill, there was a church. He says, I want you to take a pillow filled with feathers, and I want you to go to the top of the tower of the church. And she says, okay, Father, then what? Then he says, I want you to cut open that pillow, and I want you to let the feathers go everywhere throughout the city. Okay, Father, then what? Then I want you to go and pick up every single feather and put it back in that pillow. Well, Father, that's impossible. How would I be able to get all those feathers? And he says, so is it also impossible to heal all the damage you've done through your gossip. Do we gossip? Oh, Father, but we all gossip. Well, God wants you to stop because you're hurting people. There's also this in a detraction, which is telling an unkind truth about somebody. Well, Father, it's true. Yeah, but it's an unkind truth. You don't need to be spreading it. Have you lied, cheated, stolen? Have you gossiped? Have you been jealous? And then I talk about now pride is the main sin. Pride is the core of any other sin. So if anybody ever says, do you, do you have pride? If you say no, well, that's a lie. If you ever committed any sins, because pride is what makes us do any sin. I'll do it my way, God. That's pride. If you judge people, it's amazing how huh? God says love, and he forbid us to judge, and yet we're always judging people. We love to judge people. And the worst sins, of course, aren't so much on the sins of commission, but the sins of omission what we fail to do. In Matthew 25, the only time Jesus talks about explicitly the judgment of God, he says, get out of my sight. Why? Because I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was uh, thirsty, you didn't give me to drink. I was alone, you didn't visit me. And they're going to say, when, Lord, didn't we do this for you? He said, whatever you did that failed to do the least of these brothers or sisters, you failed to do to me. And then he says, the just will go to eternal life, the unjust and everlasting damnation. Why? Because of what they didn't do. So when people go to confession, usually confessions can be quite boring sometimes. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been, oh, about a month since my last confession or two months. And I don't know, Father, I don't do much. That's the problem. As long as you're alive, God wants you to do things. Huh? My greatest sins are what I failed to do. And there's a lot of things I failed to do. So if we do that, we got to sit there and confess them. Now, all these sins I brought together, you got to sit there and pray about these things and truly make a good confession. And when you go to confession, don't come out with just a laundry list. Oh, I did that, I did that. But Jesus, these are the ways I've hurt you. And Jesus, I'm sorry, and I need you to forgive me. He loves to forgive you. If you ever read Divine Mercy in My Soul and Sister Faustina talks about the greatest joy we give God is when we allow him to forgive us. We all are in need of mercy and forgiveness. Don't ever be afraid of confession. If you were yelled at when you were a kid, I'm sorry. 
I know what it's like. When I was a kid, I went to confession too, and I'll never forget this guy. And he'd go hear everybody's confession, but he'd yell at little old ladies. What are you going to yell at little old lady for? And I used to sit there and be petrified because I'd sit there, and before I went into confession, this guy says, God, this is my penance just going into this guy for confession, huh? And I'd walk in there, and I was prepared. As soon as I started, he would start screaming at me. And I'd say, yes, Father, I know, Father. I'm sorry, Father. I would then walk out, and I'd say, oh, God did not go to the cross to kick you and tell you you're no good. He went to the cross to forgive you your sins and to set you free from your slavery. When you go to confession, you're set free from your sins and set free from your slavery. You're washed clean. You're given a new life, a brand new life forever. What more can you want? You're reconciled with God. Now, when I have confessions, I give people options because I hear thousands of confessions. I go around to uh, men's retreats or different things. And I always give people the option of the questions. And the questions, these are the questions just to help you out, to help you more get an examination of conscience. And I do this, I never force these on people. It's always an option for them. And it's to help them because sometimes people finally get to make a confession because they're so afraid to confess things. huh? You know how some people, they're petrified to go to confession. They go in there and they say, how am I going to do this so the Father won't hear it? huh? And they say it real fast in between two other sins or they'll say it real fast in the beginning so uh, Father might forget it or they'll just throw it in the end and hope God the Father will be nice to them. Or what most people do is they don't say it at all and they don't make a good confession. So I've helped people throughout the years by going for the questions. And if you ever come to me, if you ever see me, you can always ask for the questions. And the questions are these. Do you pray every day? Have you used God's name in vain? Have you missed Mass? Have you dishonored your parents? Have you got angry? Have you hurt others with your words? Have you made fun of others? Have you had an abortion? Help someone have an abortion. Have you had impure thoughts, impure actions with yourself? If you're not married, I'll say, do you have oral sex with another? Do you have intercourse with another? If you are married, I'll say, do you commit adultery or have you used artificial birth control? Have you had sex with someone of the same sex? Have you looked at pornography? Have you lied? Have you cheated? Have you gossiped? Have you been jealous? Have you got drunk? Have you got high? Have you been judgmental? Have you been proud? Do you consistently give? to the poor. And it's usually, yes, 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 yes. No, I never do that one, Father. Yes, yes. Oh, I'd like to try that one, Father. Whack. Yes, 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 yes. And then I sit there and say, are you sorry? And they say, yes, Father, I'm sorry. And then I give them usually one Our Father for a penance because if I give them ten Our Fathers and ten Our Marys, what are they going to do? Our Father, our name, and I'll be our Father, our name. If I say enough, for our Father, I better, not, I better do another one just in case. Our Father, our name. And they just say these prayers really, really fast. And God, the universe is up there going, oh, here they go again. I say one Our Father with all your heart. Mean it with all your heart. Say it. And so when they can do that, then that's when they can become alive in the arms of the God of love who dies for them in Jesus. Huh? And that's so important that we know that God fulfills his own justice. When man sinned and they, we separate ourselves from him, God looks at him and says, I love my people so much. How can I save them? Because I know I will become one of them. And when Jesus died on the cross, God himself fulfills his own justice. It's like you and I were walking across the street and as we're walking across the street, a big truck's coming and beep, 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 and we don't see it and it's going to kill us in about two seconds. And someone pushes us away and they die. 
for the rest of our life would say, you know what that person did for me? They died for me. They died so I could live. Well, that's what Jesus did for you. And every time you confess, Jesus pushes you out of the way and he takes the penalty for your sin and he pays it forever. So what we need to be doing is be people of total gratitude that we look up to the God of the universe and we say, thank you for dying for me. And so we should walk in gratitude, walk in thankfulness to God who wants to pay for all our sins. He's asking you, let me pay for your sins. Confess your sins to me. Take ownership. Don't make example. Don't make excuses for them. Just tell me. Tell me you're sorry and let me forgive you. Have you ever felt the experience of God's love? Really? Have you ever had a truly good confession? It took years before I had one when I was with my spirits director and never forget he put his arm around me and I just met him walking into the place and he says, what's your name? And I said, Larry. He says to me, Larry, do you know how much God loves you? And I said, oh, yes, Father. And he goes, whack! And he hit me off the back of the head so hard and he said, liar. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go to confession to this guy. It just hit me off the back of the head. Oh. And I walked in there and I told him my sins. And as I told him my sins, I get ready to leave. He gives me absolution. He says, come back here. And he says, what? As I went towards him, he went and gave me a big hug. And he said, welcome home. And I said, oh, thank you. And I walked out and I ran out into the uh, middle of a field. And for hours, I just wept like a baby that night. Because the God of the universe wasn't there to condemn me, but he was there to forgive me and give me a new life. That's what Jesus wants to do with you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's only forgiveness. There's only mercy. Don't be afraid. Find a priest. You want to know what kind of priest? Any priest can forgive you. But if you want a gentle one, watch how, watch how he says Mass. If he's truly in love with Jesus in the Eucharist, He'll truly be in love with Jesus inside of you. So you go to him. Don't make excuses and make a good confession. Don't hold anything back. You might be 80 years old and never have made a good confession. This is the time. Jesus is calling out your name. He's waiting for you to come home. Come home and make a good confession. You got it? You get it? Good. May each of you know his love today and forever. Amen. We've been listening to Father Larry Richards of Erie, Pennsylvania, challenging us all to get to confession often and really follow in the footsteps of Christ. So for everyone here at St. Joseph Radio, I'm Don Carney, wishing you God's peace. You've been listening to the best of St. Joseph Radio presents. As always, anytime you hear something that speaks to you or know someone that would benefit from today's program, visit our website at www.saintjosephradio.net. Until next time, this is Matt Logeman for St. Joseph Radio presents.
You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents. Thank you.